Tonight we're going to be talking about storms. You know, Pastor Zachariah did a really great job of teaching us on Sunday about foundations and talking about the two different houses that each house was built differently in terms of the foundation, but I think one of the greatest takeaways of that entire service and the word that Pastor Zachariah brought was that he said both houses went through the same storm, amen? And so we were kind of preparing earlier, getting ready to look at what God might want to bring tonight, and he led me to the greatest storm of all, amen? So if you've got your word, please turn with me to the Gospel of Mark. We're going to be there tonight. We're going to look at the perfect storm. Has anybody ever seen the movie, The Perfect Storm? Amen. We're going to be looking at a storm tonight that makes George Clooney and Mark Wahlberg look like a couple children on recess in a sandbox with a face full of mucus and a mouth full of sand. Amen. We're going to look at a storm tonight that is going to make them look like a junior varsity version of a storm. Amen. So we're going to look at the Gospel of Mark, and uh, we'll go ahead and pray. The root text is extremely long, and so we're going to go ahead and ask God to come into this conversation tonight and bless our time, because I don't know about you guys, but without Jesus, this would be a poor excuse for entertainment. Amen? So, Father, we thank you, Lord, right now for the anointing that you bring as you graciously bestow upon us your presence, Lord. And your presence promises us one thing, and that is to set the captives free. Each and every one of us desire to be released into a new level of freedom tonight. And we acknowledge, Lord, by the blood of your son Jesus, that we are access granted to the throne room of God where the, the word of God calls us, Lord. You tell us to come boldly to your throne. So we stand at your throne beckoning your presence in this house, asking for your assistance to equip and enlighten us and inspire us to go forward for the cause of your son Jesus Christ. And all the saints said... Amen. So tonight we're going to be looking at the ultimate storm in the fourth chapter of Mark's gospel. Now, a little education for you real briefly. Mark was John Mark, and he was actually the disciple of Peter, okay? So you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and what it would really read if you were going by eyewitness account, it would be Matthew, Peter, Peter, and John, okay? And so what you have is John Mark, who was the scribe, of Peter. Now, in the book of Acts, the first 13 chapters, you're going to see the history of the church by Peter's eye, and we know also what? That the, the one who wrote that down was the historian Luke. He was also a physician. Now, now, watch this. Luke was the disciple of Paul, and Paul was the disciple of Peter. Are you tracking with me? So Luke's gospel is second removed from the eyewitness of Peter, and it was given him by the Apostle Paul. Amen? So a little homework for you there. So it would actually read Matthew, Peter, Peter, and John. Now what I love about John Mark is that he's one of the greatest storytellers of all time. And he's going to take us into one of the most interesting stories that we've heard a million times uh, growing up in the church. Or if you've been in the house of God for a few moments, you would be very familiar with this story about the storm. Now you're going to see this account given in all the other gospels. You're going to see it in the synoptic. Um, and you're, we're going to take a couple brief looks at that later. 
Um, but what I want you to notice about this story as we go into it is that there's going to be a lot of uh, additional uh, details that are put into the story. Now, uh, literature of antiquity or legends, these are stories that were written thousands and thousands of years ago, were never known to have any additional details in them. They only had words in them, and we're talking about fictional stories now. We're talking about uh, uh, literature of antiquity. So uh, in these novels of ancient times, they would only have points that push the narrative of the story. But in genuine, realistic, actual accounts, you would have uh, details that didn't necessarily push, push the narrative along. Now, why would you have that? Because they were remembering it from an eyewitness account, right? So you're going to see in tonight's story, uh, Jesus falling, falling asleep in a seat cushion uh, in the bow of, of the boat. You're going to see uh, Jesus going across Lake Kinneret, which was also referred to as the Sea of Galilee, um, uh, alongside of other boats. Now, why does it tell us that there was other boats there? Because there was other boats there. Amen? Because this is a real story, it actually happened, and we are going to step into this story. So we've set the stage, and let's go ahead and start to eat. I want to start tonight by defining what the power is in this story. Jesus, has, at this point in Mark's gospel, has showed us power over the supernatural. He's shown us power over the psychological, and now tonight he's going to show us power over the physical. And so we're going to go to Colossians 1 really briefly in verse 16, and that's going to give us a definition for power. And how many of y'all know that the only power in the universe is from God, and any power that exists under the heavens is either exactly coming directly from him, or it's being allowed by him, or it's on loan from him. Are you tracking with me tonight, church? You see, Jesus said, come to me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. What Jesus was saying is not that if you come to me, I'll allow you to experience rest. What Jesus was telling us is that if you come to me, I am rest. And what you're going to see in tonight's story is Jesus is saying, when you come to me, you're going to experience some power. I'm not going to allow you to taste power. I'm going to allow you to taste and see because the only true power is the great I am. It is me, the son of man, son of God, the son of David. Hallelujah. Glory be to God. So tonight we're going to see power in the most pure form. And so let's go ahead and delve into this word tonight. In Colossians 1 and 16, the word Lord reads like this. It says, for by him all things, somebody say all. all. All things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible. Pause button. In Job 5, 6, it says that adversity comes not from the dust. What we did is we came from the dust. Did you know that every element in the periodic table come, is also found inside of your body? That if you were to take up soil from the ground today and have it biologically analyzed, it would literally be comprised of everything in the, in the table of the periodic table, which is also found in what your body is made of. Isn't that powerful? So in Job 5, 6, he shows us that what we see is adversity and persecution, opposition. Anybody in the house can relate to me tonight. What we see manifesting in the natural has a spiritual source. And so what we are given is the opportunity through the anointing of the Holy Ghost and through the discernment of the comforter that he left with us to lead, guide, and direct us in all things is the opportunity to discern what the source is of the adversity that we are facing in our day today. Can I get a witness? 
So he says, visible and and invisible, whether throngs or dominions or rulers or authorities, all have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. If you've been in the home at all for a little while, you've done some studies about the laminin. It's the protein that literally holds our cell membranes together in our body. And it's also, we didn't have time to put it up on the screen for you tonight, it also just happens to be in the shape of a cross. Amen? All right. So we'll move it along. So tonight we're going to be looking at the ultimate store. This is on the Sea of Galilee. This is Lake Kinneret. Now I want to paint a picture for you because the Sea of Galilee was a sea that was extremely shallow. At the deepest part of the Sea of Galilee, it was 150 feet. Okay? Why is this important? Thanks for asking. The Sea of Galilee also was only about 30 minutes, uh, sorry, 30 miles north of Mount Hermon. Now, Mount Hermon was 9,200 feet tall in Lake Kinneret and or the Sea of Galilee is 700 feet below sea level. So what this Mount Hermon would do is it would catch these winds, the trade winds, the global trade winds, and it would funnel them down through the foothills of Mount Hermon and shoot them out across Lake Kinneret. So what did this do? It caused some pretty radical storms. Amen. Has anybody took in, uh, anybody found themselves, or want to be honest tonight, and uh, found themselves in, in a classroom with a straw with a spit wad in the end of it, right? So what would you do? You would apply some pressure, you would apply some power, and it would funnel that power through a small channel, and what it would do is produce some acute strength and some precision on the other end. Are you guys talking with me tonight? This is the same thing that happened on Lake Kinneret. Through the foothills at, at, the, at the base of Mount Hermon, all this power, all this wind, all this storm activity would have been sent across this shallow lake, and if you spent any time in the bathtub as a little child with your rubber ducky, you would know that in the shallow depths of your bathtub with a little bit of assistance from your the gallows of your breath and your lungs you could create some force behind it to set it a sail across the bathtub are you tracking with me tonight so why are why are we taking time to uh to paint this picture pastor well thanks for asking lake the sea of galilee is where all of these fishermen grew up some of them may have very well been born inside of the bow of a boat these were professional fishermen it's what they did for a living they would have been used to storms. They would, have spe- they would have seen many crazy storms in their lifetime. But there was something different about this storm. There was something unusual about this storm. So if you guys will go with me to Mark chapter 4, we're going to pick it up in 35. And the word of the Lord reads like this. It says, on that day when evening came, he said to them, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd, they took him along with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And there arose a fierce gale of wind, and the waves were breaking over the boat, so much that the boat was already filled up, and Jesus himself was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. They woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he got up and rebuked the wind, and he said to the sea, Hush, be still. And the wind died down. It became perfectly calm. And he said to them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they became very much afraid. And they said to themselves, who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Amen. All right, we've set the table 
If you're hungry, let's eat. Amen. Come on, somebody. Let's break this down. So I've told you what I'm going to tell you, and now I'm going to tell you what I'm going to tell you, and then I'm going to tell you what I told you. All right? You checking with me? All right. Phase one is over. All right. Let's go into phase two. In the, 30, in the 35th verse, it says, on that day. Now, I think it's important for us to go back a second and see what Jesus would have been doing that day. In the first verse of Mark's fourth chapter, you can see it says that he began to teach again by the sea, and such a very large crowd gathered to him, and he got into the boat on the sea, and he sat down. Some of us in the house tonight need to sit down. And the whole crowd was by the sea on the land, and he was teaching many things to them. Some of the parables that you would have seen recorded on that day was the parable of the sower and the soils, the parable of the lamp, the parable of the seed, and the parable of the mustard seed. Needless to say, Jesus would have been extremely tired. These were only the recorded parables. Are you tracking with me? Right? So Jesus would have been teaching all day long with a few brief intermissions in between. Are you tracking with me? So what's the point? When Jesus was getting into this boat, he would have been exhausted. He most likely would have been dehydrated and barely able to stand. So how did he fall asleep in the stern of the boat when a crazy storm was going on? He was tired. Amen? He was tired. 35. When Jesus said to them, and even came, he said to them, let us go over to the other side. Now, it could have been easily assumed that Jesus was on his way to some much needed and much deserved rest and relaxation. But as we know, as a quick little look ahead to the fifth chapter of Mark, Jesus was on divine appointment. He was on his way to have the ultimate face-off between good and evil, between him and the Garcinian demoniac. The man that could not be bound by whips or chains. He could not be subdued by any man or men combined. He was at a place of peril. He, would have, he was at a place of screaming out. And we know that Jesus spent every single night disappearing into the mountains to pray, right? We know that every morning Jesus uh, was found as a result of a search and rescue uh, squad being sent out to find him. And the disciples most often greeted Jesus in the morning saying, where are you? Do you not realize that everybody's looking for you? What well, Jesus understood that was without the quiet time, without the peace and the still of being with his father, there would be no ability to face any storms. Now Jesus would have been in the mountaintops in his quiet place, which he would have been a very short trip across across the water to where the Garcinian demoniac would have been. It is very likely that Jesus himself would have audibly heard the Garcinian demoniac crying out at night, screaming as he was gnashing his skin with the stones. Are you tracking with me tonight? Jesus was on divine mission because he had a son that was in need. He had a child that was in a position of want. He had a child. I wish I had half a church in here tonight. He had a child that was in a place of death. Desperation. He had a child that was in a place of despondency. He had a child that was lost, that was broken, that was looking for help, and he was on the way. It didn't matter how sleepy he was. It didn't matter how hungry he was, how thirsty he was. He was going to travel, and he was going to find himself in a position to meet the need. So if you're in the house tonight and you find yourself in a broken place, if you find yourself in a place of desperation, you find yourself in a position where you're looking at the storm that you've been facing, 
And it doesn't seem like it's ever going to end. If you find yourself tonight in a place of want or of need, I have an answer for you. And it's Jesus. Because the truth is that the storms on the seas are unmanageable. The storms on the seas are painful. The storms on the seas have no respect for you. They've got no compassion for you. They've got no desire to see you improve. The storms of life have no desire to see you succeed, to see you elevated. The storms of life have no desire to see you win at all. The storms of life are unmanageable. Mark 4 and 36, it says, Leaving the crowd, they took him along in the boat, just as he was with other boats with him. And there arose a fierce gale of wind. Another way of saying this is a hurricane. Gale force winds. That's hurricane. Amen. This is a crazy storm. Can anybody relate tonight? I want us to look at some other accounts really briefly. In Matthew 8.24 it says, And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being covered with the waves. Luke tells us, the story from a different vantage point, and he actually portrays it as, as starting out as a beautiful thing. Has anybody been in the middle of a storm and remembered how it started, and it seemed to be a beautiful thing? Amen. Luke says in the 8th chapter and 23rd verse, but as they were sailing along, he fell asleep. He paints the picture of a joyful storm, of a joyous occasion that was so beautiful that he was actually able to fall asleep. We see here that the boat was only moments away from sinking along with all of its passengers. In the 38th verse, Jesus himself was in the stern asleep on the cushion. Undoubtedly, this was the greatest storm that these people had ever seen. And yet Jesus was in a state of perfect peace. Jesus was in a place of perfect harmony. Jesus was in a place of extreme rest. No anxiety, no worry, no depression. He was completely at home in the midst of the storm. I want to look at this next part, 38 in subsection B. It says, and they woke him. We're in the fourth chapter of Mark. I know I'm jumping around a little bit on you guys. And they woke him and they said to him, teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? In Matthew's gospel, the 8th chapter and 25th verse, it says, and they came to him and woke him saying, save us, Lord, we are perishing. I want you to acknowledge the name that they used for Jesus. These are different accounts, the synoptics, okay, it's the same. It, the synopsis, synopsis means summary, right? So the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, those are all three the same narrative, just from different vantage points. So Matthew gives you the wide angle left, right? Mark's going to give you the wide angle right. And then Luke's going to give you the overall backdrop. Are you checking with me tonight, church? So in Matthew's gospel, they call him Lord. In Luke's gospel, 8 and 24, the word of the Lord reads, it says, and they came to Jesus and woke him up saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. In the midst of pure chaos, the disciples were coming to Jesus at all angles because the, the, the disciples understood that the only thing that was going to save them from the storm in this sea was an act of God. 
Now we know that the old-fashioned uh, story of King Ketut, he was uh, summoned by some of his uh, tailbearers, some of his servants, his maidservants, and they were all puffing him up and patting him on the back, telling him how amazing he was. And he looked at them and he literally said, Who am I? Am I God? And he walked up to the foot of the sea, and the sea was, well, the waves were crashing, right? And he called upon the sea and he said, See, I command you to cease. And what happened? The sea continued to crash, wave upon wave upon wave. If you look at some of the uh, historical narratives of the ancient times, these miracle workers, these uh, soothsayers, these diviners, these demonic prophets, right, these demonic magicians, these black art uh, uh, prophetesses and prophets, and uh, are you talking about tonight? If you look at some of these, these narratives, you will see that they're always calling upon a higher name. They're always calling upon a greater source than themselves. But when we see Jesus in the story address someone in the waves he doesn't call on any name at all he says hush and be still you know what's crazier the wind and the waves were compliant you know Jesus gets up in the midst of one of the craziest storms that these disciples have ever experienced disciples that found their their name in their um male bravado upon how great a storms they have weathered in their past, on how strong they were in the face of these storms, how there had never been a storm ever in the Sea of Galilee that they could not master because they were career fishermen. They were men's men. Their entire livelihood, their entire family's existence was based off of their ability to navigate and sustain the storms. But when they saw this one, they said, Master, Master, do you not care that we are about to die and Jesus in total control gets up and he rebukes the wind and the waves like an unruly child and the waves comply the wind complies did you notice that he addressed both of them separately all right he addresses the wind first then he addresses the waves hold on to that we'll get there Perhaps these disciples were drawing upon some of the old uh, spiritual hymns and songs that they would have been raised upon. Y'all know that the book of Psalms, were that was the songbook of the Old Testament. Are you talking with me? These were songs that these disciples, uh, all Jews, would have been raised up hearing as a child. As the mother was at the washboard doing the laundry. As father was out cleaning the, the game that he had just caught that afternoon, right, they would have heard their mothers and fathers singing these songs of old. Maybe they were remembering and having a moment of reminiscence. Maybe they're remembering Psalm 65 and 7 where it says, Who stills the roaring of the seas and the roaring of their waves? Maybe they were remembering Psalms 89 and 9 where it says, You rule the swelling of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. Maybe they were remembering Psalms 107 and 22 where it says, Let them also offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his works with joyful singing. Those who go down into the sea in ships, who do business on the great waters, they have seen the works of the Lord in his wonders in the deep. For he spoke and rose up a stormy wind, which has lifted up on the waves of the sea. And they rose up to the heavens, and they went down to the depths. And the souls melted away in their misery. And they reeled and staggered like drunken men. And they were at their wit's end. And then cried out to the Lord in their trouble. And he brought them out of their distresses. He caused the storm to be still. 
the waves and the seas were hushed and they were glad because they were quieted. So he guided them to the desired havens. So what was Jesus' response? Mark 4 and 39. He gets up, rebukes to the waves first. He says, hush. And to the sea second, he says, be still. You know what's crazy? The word of God says that what happened next is the sea became dead calm. I want you guys to miss this miracle. If any of you guys are spending time around the ocean or even a lake on a windy day, you would know that even after the storm passes by at a lake, that the waters are still uneasy and turning for hours after the end of the storm. But y'all don't hear me, though. If you spend any time around the ocean, you would know that even after a crazy hurricane, the waters do not become still calm until days after the storm. Are y'all ain't ready, though? You see, when Jesus stood up and he stepped into his divine authority, into his position, into his placement, when he took the breath from his lungs and he enacted the hand of his father, he rebuked the wind and the waves. He said, be quiet and be still in the wind. And the waves complied so much so that instantly it was a dead calm, so glassy that you could see your face. Here's the crazy part. 39. Sorry, let's pick it up in verse 40. The word of the Lord reads, Mark 4 and 40. And he said to them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? Now, a quick word search of the Greek, you would see that the way he positions and releases the verbiage of still have no faith, he's addressing faith not as a virtue, but as an object. What Jesus was saying is, it's not the strength of your faith, it's the object of your faith. He said, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? You see, if you were following, if you were following, if you were falling down a tragic hillside to your impending death, and you just had a moment to reach out and grab a branch on the side of the hillside, it wouldn't be the amount of faith you had in the root system of that branch. It wouldn't be the amount of faith or understanding or how much you were okay or how much uh, or the result of, of an analytical breakdown and evaluation. It, none of that would matter at all. The only thing that would matter is whether you grabbed the branch or you didn't. You tracking with me? You see, if I had a desire to fly to Japan and I had Mama Heather put some really amazing styrofoam uh, wings with duct tape strapped to my arm, right? And in, in, in all my athletic ability, which is very limited, I promise you, uh, I even got back into my old college football glory days, and I took off with a sprint and burst of energy and jumped across that ocean. I wouldn't get very far, would I? Because the object of my faith was misplaced. But if I boarded a Boeing 757, are you checking with me tonight, guys? Right? There would be a good chance that I may make it to Japan. You see, it's not that we have to have great faith. We only have to have faith in a great God. All you have to do is grab it. 
hold on, man. But hold on. 41. And the world reads like this. They became very much afraid and said to one another, Who then is this that even the sea, the wind, obey him? They were terrified, the word of God says, right? They became very much afraid is what the NASB, what the King James says is they were terrified. You see, sometimes God takes us out of our storms in the thought and idea of walking next to him in surrendering to him and allowing him to be our Lord is more terrifying than the storm that we just got out of. So we run right back to the storm. just delivered them from the storm that they knew was about to take their life. These are men that have, have been steeped in the knowledge of storms. And yet in that moment of freedom and deliverance, the idea of truly walking with Jesus was more terrifying than the pain of the storm. You see, we have comfort in the pain of our storms. If you're willing to be honest tonight, you see, we're familiar with our storms. There's nothing inside of our storms that's going to catch us off guard. There's nothing from the pain of our past that's going to trip us up. You see, even in the midst of the pain, in the misery, in the treachery that comes in our past, in the place of pain in which Jesus paid the ultimate price to deliver us from, there is comfort in the familiarity of our storms. So oftentimes, if we're being honest with ourselves, when we get out of the storm, when we get past the 911 Jesus, the idea of truly surrendering and yielding to him and following him is more terrifying to us than being in a storm. So we run right back to being our own God. You know, the only problem is we're not very good gods. So there's two ways we can respond to this tonight. We could believe that the world's just a result of cosmic coincidences, collisions, the Big Bang Theory, evolution. If evolution's real, why is there still monkeys? If evolution's real, why do I still have a pinky toe? It barely grows a nail anymore. If evolution's real, why, why, did, why did I have to get my appendix taken out of my, Right? But evolution. All right, bro, why, why is there still monkeys? Just hit them with the monkey line, right? Well, uh, see, and you know, it's crazy because I sat through hours and hours and hours of, of uh, apologetics courses and, and coursework on, uh, you know, experiencing and really searching out the depths of these scientific explanations of creation. And it's crazy because they do a really impressive job, but then they get to the part that they can't explain and their textbooks literally say, and then something happened. <laughs> it takes a lot more faith not to believe in God than to believe in God. Hello. But there's a difference between him being your Savior and him being your Lord. So that's the first way we can respond. Hey, what I do doesn't matter. This earth is going to be over soon. Uh, eventually the sun's going to burn up. And this, this earth is going to fade, and nobody's going to have any memory of what I ever did. 
So the way I treat people, the way I conduct myself, the way I operate in life is not going to matter. I can do what I want. I can have my way. It's my, right, the original J.G. Wentworth, it's my money and I want it now. We can respond that way or we can really believe Jesus is who he says he is, that he's the Lord of the storm. That in the midst of our confusion, our trials and tribulations, in the midst of the darkness, when the waves start crashing in, when we seem to be in a place of no escape, when we seem to find, I wish I had a little help in here tonight, when we find ourselves in a place of desperation, we have an opportunity to look upon the Lord of the storm. But so many of us get caught up in analyzing the wind and the waves. Weighing out the motives and agendas. Of the wind and the waves. Oh, hey, you, you check out that new girl. Oh, man, I can't believe. Can you believe she was actually singing during praise and worship? I saw her open her Bible the other day. What? She's only been here, right? We spend so much time analyzing the wind and the waves. Judging the motives of the wind and the... You seen that, brother? He's only been here two weeks, and he's already so steeped in the knowledge of the Holy Ghost. He thinks he's a pastor. Well, by God, he is a pastor, and God sent him to equip, restore, establish, confirm, and strengthen him so that he can be released out as we reach, teach, mend, and send. Focus on your own storm, brother. You got enough wind and waves. Be wasting time talking about mine. Hello. Hello. God didn't call you to be the judge, jury, and executioner of my wind and my waves. You ain't got a heaven or a hell to put me in, so keep it moving, boo-boo. <laughs> Conclusion. So we could laugh at the disciples right here, right? They're always screwing up. They're always needing to be brought to the side by Jesus after Jesus gives his sermons and then give him the interpretation, right? They're constantly... Stumble, and these are guys that are seeing these miracles with their own eyes on a daily basis. 25,000 people fed, 20,000 people fed. The lame, the sick, the blind, right? We could laugh at them, but I don't think we're going to because we know what it's like to be in a storm, right? We know what it's like to be in the middle of the wind and the waves. Some of us are here right now, some of us are there, right? Some of us are pretending. To be on the beach with our feet up. But the truth is we're in the midst of a storm like never before. And it's threatening to take our life. So we can empathize with these disciples, can we not? You know what's crazy about this story? It sounds really similar to an Old Testament story that I've heard a million times since I was a child. The same verbiage, the same words, the same plot. Reminds me a lot of the story of Jonah. You see, in both stories, the main character was asleep in the bow of the boat. Both stories, the passengers of the boat were facing impending doom and surefied death. In both stories, the main character had to be thrown over the boat, into the storm. But we don't see Jesus thrown into the waves right here. But if we take a step back for a moment, and we look at the entirety of the gospel, 
we see that Jesus, just like Jonah, voluntarily threw himself into the ultimate storm of eternal justice. We see that Jesus, just like Jonah, voluntarily gave of his life so that all the lives of the passengers could be saved. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 40, it says, For just as Jonah, and this is Jesus here talking, For just as Jonah was in the belly of the sea monster, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And the men of Nineveh will stand up with this generation at judgment and will condemn it because they responded at the preaching of Jonah. But behold, one greater than Jonah is here. You see on Calvary's cross, praise and worship team, y'all can come up. We can start bringing the lights down just a little bit. You guys can start preparing your hearts for altar. Amen. You see on Calvary's cross, Jesus faced the ultimate storm once and for all. He came to break brokenness, to destroy destruction, to save mankind. You see, the New Testament tells us that God has a desire that none man would perish. You see, on Calvary's cross, when he hung his head and he said, it's finished. He delivered each and every one of us, amen, from the belly of the beast. You see, there's a doctrine out there that would tell you that uh, you were drowning in the ocean of life. And God came by on the boat. And he threw the life raft, which is Jesus, out. And if you should choose to grab a hold of it, God the Father would use that life raft to reel you in. Somebody say reel you in. To the love of the Father. But the truth is that Jesus had to descend into the heart of the ocean to scoop you up. From the bottom of the sea. Because the truth is, my friend, you and I were dead at the bottom of that sea. To say that we were drowning would be giving us way too much credit. You see, we were completely dead at the bottom of the ocean. And the Savior of the universe chose to descend to the earth. He that knew no sin became sin so that you could escape death. You were, dr- you were dead in your trespasses and sin. The altar's open if you want to start coming down. But we are made alive in him. For if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. The Savior of the universe has chosen to have a human experience so that your spiritual being could be restored and resurrected into this human body where you will one day return home in your resurrected body. Come on, somebody. Where there will be no more tears, where there will be no more pain, where there will be no more death. Can I get a witness? Where there will be no more brokenness, where the dead will leap. Woo! The blind will see. Jesus calls us to taste and see. To taste and see that he is good. 
He is good. So I told you before, the unmanageable storm is scary to us because it's unmanageable. But the difference between the storm and the unmanageable power of Jesus Christ is that the storm does not want to see you delivered. The storm does not want to see you restored. The storm does not want to see you succeed. The storm has one desire, and that is to destroy you. It is to send you into the pits of hell to where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The storm has only one goal, and that is to seek he that he can devour. But the unmanageable power of Jesus Christ has a desire to see you restored, has a desire to see you resurrected, has a desire to see you strengthened, confirmed, established. The unmanageable power of Jesus Christ may allow you to go through some storms, but it is all working together for the good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Are you with me tonight, church? So right there, if you'll raise your hands. I invite you to come into this altar call, broken, to find peace in the fact that he is near to those who are broken, and to find yourself lost inside of this moment. Don't walk away from this moment different, sorry, the same as you came into this moment. As Savannah and the praise and worship team take us into the Holy of Holies, I invite us to get real with God because the altar is where man deals with his sin. The altar is where man meets God. Father, we need you in this moment. Holy Ghost, we invite you to release complete healing, restoration, hope, deliverance. We invite you, Spirit of God, to fill us up to the point of overflow so that we can go away from this moment inspired so that we can go away from this moment with a greater understanding of who you are. Amen.